Let's, let's pray as we come to God's word this morning. Lord, we just thank you that um, we can gather today that we can celebrate the true meaning of Christmas. Lord, uh, we don't want to have things get all confused and lost for us in this season and busyness and family and presents and event after event and prepping big meals and baking things and overeating and all the things that are, Jesus, we don't want to lose the baby. We don't want to lose you in the midst of this. And so, Lord, we just come to center our hearts on you, center our thoughts upon you. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us uh, from your word that 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 which we're celebrating this season would just um, be truly what's at the heart of Christmas for us, Lord. And so, God, we thank you for your word and, and for the story of your birth, and we ask your Holy Spirit's blessing on this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. My iPad's being a dork here this morning. Keeps asking for a password. Sweet. So we're in Matthew chapter 1. I'll get you to turn there. And I want to read this section of Matthew's gospel account of the birth of Jesus. And we'll pick up the story in Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. And it says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she gave birth till she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And my iPad wants the password again. Sorry. Just yesterday, I was, uh, I was in the store, not doing Christmas shopping, but um, up at the store getting something for a project I was working on, and actually I needed uh, some wood stain products. So I was like, you know, going down the aisle trying to pick what product, what color, how to go. And um, I could hear this conversation happening uh, in the store. It was between um, one of the employees and a customer. And, you know, it's Gibson's. They obviously knew one another. And so they were talking, they were familiar with one another. And they were talking about uh, Christmas. And the conversation went along the lines of like, hey, so what do you got going on at Christmas? And what are you up to? And so... Um, you know, I was kind of enjoying eavesdropping. And uh, so I pretended to keep looking at the products and I listened in on the conversation because it was more interesting. And I heard the employee telling, telling this customer friend just about their kind of general disinterest in Christmas. Um, password again. This is not going to be good. And, um, and so... You know, it wasn't, it wasn't on the level of like hatred or 
or dislike, but it was on this level of disinterest with regards to Christmas and all that it represented that they were just kind of detached from it. It was like, you know, they would say, well, you know, well, it's going to be pretty quiet and we're not really in, uh, you know, we're not going to do gifts and I don't really care much for Christmas. And I could hear this disconnect with regards to the true meaning and value of what Christmas is all about and what we celebrate at this season. For this person, it was just like, just time off, not much going on, not even presents. And actually, I felt sad for them as I heard the conversation. And I thought to myself, wow, this fix exactly where I'm going because you know what a difference it makes knowing Jesus with regards to the meaning and value of Christmas. And what we celebrate this time of year, Jesus is the reason for the celebration you guys, this is not good. I'm sorry. What, what, a, what a difference knowing Jesus makes. And, you know, I, I, I thought about, you know, Christmas for a Christian is actually like joy and celebration and thanksgiving for us is actually almost on the level of duty, you guys. That we like have a responsibility to the Lord to be thankful at this time of year and to be joyful as we consider the birth of our Lord and, and all that Jesus did for us. And so, you know, when you take time to consider what Christmas is about, what we're celebrating at this time of year, when we take time to consider that the Lord of heaven in his love for his creation condescended from heaven to earth, he submitted to being born of a virgin, a woman who herself was a sinner. He condescended knowing that he, how he would be treated in this world. He condescended knowing that he would be despised, knowing that he would be rejected by his creation, knowing that he would be, as the scripture foretold, a, a man of sorrows, that he would be scoffed at, that he would be mocked by his creation, that he would be rejected and be forced to die a, a, a painful and shameful Death at the hands of those who were made in his image and whom he had created for his glory and for his name. He condescended knowing that the world would not treat him as this prophesied son of man, let alone as the son of God. And when you consider such things, like it makes the Christmas story so amazing. It makes the love of Jesus and the story of his birth all the more amazing that Jesus was willing to offer himself to come from heaven to earth and offer himself as a ransom for our sins. And Christ came. He came, as, uh, he came conceived of the Holy Spirit, this gospel tells us. Born of a virgin, he came at, at the eternal will of the Father to people not living under grace, but people who were living under the law. And he himself was born under the law. And he didn't come in glory and in, in the splendor of a king. He didn't come like you would expect of one whom was bringing with him salvation. This is going to drive me crazy and you guys nuts too. Nathan, can I ask a favor? Can you grab my laptop out of my office, man? Thank you. You don't want to hear this pastor without his notes. Je Jesus did not come in, in that glory and splendor of one that we would think who was bringing with him salvation. 
Instead, he came and he was born in a stable. He was laid in a manger. His companions at his birth were, I don't know, sheep and chickens, born along, alongside the, the donkeys and oxen. And his companion, they were his companions in the delivery room. Can you imagine that? How terrible. And you have to ask yourself, next man, I can grab it right there. I'll, I'll have her. Oh, wrong one. It's the one right on the desk. That's the old broken one. Now I really have problems. And you have to ask yourself, with regards to Jesus, what love is this? What love is this? That he would do such a thing for his creation to stoop so low. What's the height of this love? What's the depth of this love? What is, what is the width of this love that the Lord of all creation would condescend to save his, his creatures, his creation? Almost there. Oh my gosh. Apparently the Lord is. You think about the birth story and we know Joseph was there. We know Mary was there. We know all the animals are there, but we don't know who else was present. Who was there to help with his birth at the delivery? But we do know this. That the Christmas story tells us that he was, that, the, that who was present at his delivery didn't so much matter because it was about him coming to deliver us. To deliver us. And to deliver us, he clothed himself in human flesh. He took on the very nature of a servant to deliver us from sin and death. He was cursed for our sake. He died for our sin to bring us to God. He was put to death in the body. By his blood, he cleansed us. By his blood, he cleansed us from the guilt and the shame of our sin. Our, our imperfection covered by his perfection. And because of him, because we are identified with him, the, the word of God declares to us that we have received mercy, that we can approach the throne of grace in our time of need, that Jesus has mediated on our behalf between us and the Father, the Father whom we had offended by our sin, the Father whom we had broken the relationship with by our sin, Jesus mediated on our behalf. And where there was bondage, Jesus broke the chains. And where there was shame, Jesus brought honor. And where there was guilt, Jesus made us innocent. And where there was conviction, Jesus, by the spirit of holiness, declared us faultless before his Father in heaven. You know, the New Year's around the corner, and, and one of the things that drives me nuts about the New Year, I'll just tell you, is New Year's resolutions. I'm like totally not a New Year's resolution person, even though every year I like make a resolve to, I'm going to drop the Christmas pounds. And, you know, New Year's is that time when people make resolutions. They have good intentions. I have good intentions, but here's the thing about my good intentions, and this is the reason why I hate resolutions. I never follow through with my good intentions, like so rarely, like all of you. But Jesus, when Jesus was born, Jesus came with good intentions towards you. Jesus came with good intentions towards me and towards his creation. And Jesus did not fail to deliver on any single one of those good intentions because he is very good of very good and very God of very God. Church, I'm saying all this to say to us, we have a reason to celebrate the Christmas season and the birth of our Lord. The birth of Jesus is an event that we celebrate. 
And you know, the thing about Jesus' birth is this, that when you hear about his birth, maybe you hear about his birth for the very first time. You'd never heard about it before and you were to hear about it. You know, well, the birth of Jesus isn't always something to celebrate the very first time, the very first instance you hear about it. Like, think about Joseph. He certainly didn't celebrate the second he learned about the coming birth of Jesus Christ. Betrothed to the love of his life, he discovered she's with child, she's pregnant, and it's not his baby. And we can only try to imagine his level of disappointment, but Joseph, the scripture tells us he was a just man, and that he truly loved the girl, and that he wasn't willing to put her to shame, so he just resolved that he was going to quietly divorce her, and the scripture tells us what we, we read this morning is that when he considered these things, that just like his namesake before him, Joseph, the son of Jacob, whom God spoke to in dreams in the book of Genesis. Remember Joseph? He had those two dreams about his father and his mother and his brothers coming down and bowing before them. And when he, when he declared these things to his, his family, it made them all angry and he had no idea that he was going to be betrayed by his brethren. He had no idea that he was going to be sold into slavery. He had no idea that he'd be taken off and put in a prison in Egypt before God would raise him up and he would become the prime minister of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. He had no idea that God would use him to save his family and save the world in the midst of a famine. That's Joseph's namesake. And like his namesake, generations before God spoke to this Joseph that we read about in, in, in the Gospel of Matthew through a dream. An angel of the Lord appeared to him and, and, and said to him, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The interesting thing about what the angel declared to Joseph is this, is that Joseph was not the son of David. His genealogy tells us that he was the son of the same as his namesake, that he was the son of Jacob, that he was Joseph, son of Jacob. That was another commonality between the Joseph of Genesis and the Joseph of Matthew. He was Joseph, the son of Jacob, not Joseph, the son of David. But the address, as the angel Gabriel spoke to him, <coughs> The address son of David was to alert Joseph of something that was particularly significant about this angelic message. Son of David was a reference to Joseph's legal lineage to the throne of King David. And the angel told him this, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. To me, as I was just studying the Christmas story, this was the line that struck me this week. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> I think about that. Like, how do you explain that? I mean, that's the great mystery of the virgin birth, right? It's like, oh yeah, babies come from the Holy Spirit. Yeah, right. How do you explain that? That is not in the realm of natural. From my understanding of biology, that's not how it works. That's not the ordinary. I mean, explain this, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Here's my explanation. The angel told Joseph something that was supernatural, that was mysterious, 
And that was miraculous. The pregnancy was the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who in the beginning, when the scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 1, when the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep, the word of God tells us that the Spirit of God was hovering over the darkness. That he was hovering over the face of the waters to effect, to the effect of, that creation would come into being and that the universe would be born. He was the active agent of change as the word of God was spoken, which resulted in the creation of the universe, the Holy Spirit. And that same spirit, the Holy Spirit, who hovered over the darkness of creation, hovered over the darkness of Mary's womb. And that which was conceived in her, the angel says, was of the Holy Spirit. The supernatural mysterious and miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. Supernatural because Mary was a virgin. Her pregnancy could not be attributed to natural means. It was some force beyond science. It was some force beyond the understanding of the laws of nature. A manifestation of something supernatural in its origin happened in her womb. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Mysterious because how do you understand this? It's difficult. It's impossible to understand, you know, to explain a virgin conceiving. That is like mysterious. That's a wonder. Supernatural, mysterious, and it was miraculous because it was extraordinary. A miracle is something that happens that's extraordinary, that's supernatural in, our, in its nature, and it's something that you welcome. You're like, wow, this is awesome. I'm so glad this happened. Praise God. And it was miraculous because it couldn't be explained by natural or scientific laws. It had to be attributed to something done by the divine power, by the divine activity of the Lord. Miraculous because this was a remarkable development, an extraordinary conception that would bring very welcome consequences. The angel said, this baby is conceived so that he will save his people from their sins. That's welcome. A welcome result that Jesus would save his people from their sins. He would be called Emmanuel. And so the angel said, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 700 years earlier, Isaiah prophesied that this would happen. 700 years. That's like insane, right? 700 years this was prophesied beforehand. I can't barely think back seven months, let alone 700 years. And Isaiah prophesied that, that a virgin would conceive and that the child would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Sean read us this passage this morning from Isaiah chapter 7. The Lord in Isaiah chapter 7 sent his prophet Isaiah to Ahaz, the king of Judah. And Ahaz was not a king who walked in the ways of the Lord. His father was Uzziah. His father was a godly king, but not Ahaz. Ahaz had wandered so far from the Lord and the things of God that he had offered his son in a fire and sacrifice to the pagan gods of the peoples around him. His heart was far from God. And during his reign... At this time when the Lord sends Isaiah to speak to him, 
The Syrians with a league of nations had come against the city of Jerusalem. They had come to wage war on Jerusalem. And the scripture tells us that as Ahaz looked out upon the army that was before the city of Jerusalem, that his heart shook. And the heart of the people of Jerusalem shook like the trees of the forest shake in the wind. And so the Lord said to Isaiah, go to the king and tell him, be careful. King Ahaz, you be careful and you be quiet. And do not let your heart be faint before this enemy because their plan shall not stand and their plan shall not come to pass. The Lord was saying this through Isaiah, Ahaz, you stop talking about the problem and you start looking to me. You stop talking about the problem and you start looking to me, Ahaz. Be careful and be quiet. And Isaiah said to him, Ahaz, God's going to wipe the floor of this enemy, but listen, Ahaz, if you're not firm in your faith, if you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. That's in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 9. And God had promised, I'm going to deliver you from the enemy. And now the king was called, will you believe the promise of God? Will you believe the promise that God has spoken? And if you will not believe, well, your belief or your lack of belief will not stop the outcome of what God has planned. This enemy will be defeated. God had already decreed that the attack of this army would not succeed, but but Ahaz's belief or lack thereof would not affect what God was going to do, but it was going to affect what would happen in Ahaz's life. Would he participate and believe the promise of God or would he not? In fact, Isaiah says to him, if you're not firm in your faith, you won't be firm at all. He's saying this, Ahaz, the stability of your life depends on believing in the promise of God. The very stability that makes you firm and gives you footing in your life, it depends on you putting your faith in the Lord and you believing the promise of God. And as the story turns out, as we read in Isaiah chapter 7, I encourage you to go home and check that out today. The story tells us that Ahaz did not believe that he did not trust the promise of God. Isaiah went so far, he said this to Ahaz, Ahaz, ask God for a sign. God says he's going to do this. You can ask him for a sign. You can ask for a, a sign that's as deep as Sheol, or you can ask him for a sign that's as high as heaven. Any, any sign you want, you name it. Ask the Lord for a sign. And, and God was challenging Ahaz through the prophet. He was challenging Ahaz. Believe me and be blessed. Trust me. Ask for a sign. Ask for a basis in which and for which you can trust me. But Ahaz said this in Isaiah chapter 7. He said, I will not ask. I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Which, you know, at a first glance sounds like really spiritual. Almost sounds and seems to sound like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4 verse 7 when he was, when the devil had come to tempt him. He, he said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And though, though the words were similar, the heart of Jesus versus the heart of Ahaz couldn't be further apart. Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And he refused to ask for a sign because, because if God gave him a sign and fulfilled the sign, then he would be obligated to believe in the Lord. And he didn't want to believe in the Lord. The truth was, Ahaz did not want to believe. Ahaz was rejecting the free and gracious gift of a sign from God, a sign 
that he would save his people. And his answer, I will not. I will not. See, Ahaz, Ahaz loved darkness rather than light. And so Isaiah prophesied and he spoke of a sign that God would use to declare his intention to save his people, but the prophet zoomed way out to a way bigger picture. It was a sign that looked far beyond the enemy that surrounded the walls of Jerusalem that was threatening, threatening Jerusalem in Ahaz's day. It, it was a sign that would point to God's ultimate rescue plan, a sign to save his creation from the ultimate enemy, sin. And Isaiah said this in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You know, it's the greatest of honors that any human being, that any man or woman or child, young or old, can receive when the King of Kings invites you to trust him. When he invites you, the greatest honor of your life is when the King of Kings invites you to trust him and his promise and his word. And there was an invitation for Ahaz and the tragedy was that Ahaz refused to believe. I will not, he said. You know, Spurgeon spoke of this and I like this. I want to read it to you. About this refusal to believe. He said this, Did I not hear someone say, Ah, oh, sir, I've been trying to believe for years. Terrible words. They make the case still worse. Imagine that after I had made a statement, a man should declare that he did not believe in me. In fact, he could not believe me, though he would like to do so. I should feel aggrieved, certainly, but it would make matters worse if he added, in fact, I've been trying for years to believe in you and I cannot do it. What does he mean by that? What can he mean but that I am so incorrigibly false and such a confirmed liar that though he would like to give me some credit, he cannot really do it. With all the effort he can make in my favor, he finds it quite beyond his power to believe in me. Now, a man who says I've been trying to believe in God in reality says just that with regard to the Most High. That's what Ahaz said. I, I won't believe. I, I've been trying to believe. I can't believe. God says, ask me for a sign. I'll give you any sign, Ahaz. No. The truth was Ahaz didn't want to believe. He didn't want to be obligated to believe. To say to the Lord, I cannot believe, is to say as Ahaz said, I will not believe. And the stability of our lives depends on us believing in the promises of God. Just as Isaiah said to him, if you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. And the sign that God had given indicating that he would fulfill his word, that he would save his people from that ultimate enemy, sin, the sign is that which is conceived in the virgin's womb would be of the Holy Spirit. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You know, I think about Ahaz. Ahaz rejected the free and gracious gift of God. Blinded by his power, blinded by position, blinded by his 
idolatry, blinded by the law, the lie of sin. He, he loved darkness rather than light. You know, in Luke chapter 1, Luke tells us his accounting of Christ's birth, that in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin who was betrothed to be married to a man whose name was Joseph, and the virgin's name was Mary. The angel Gabriel appeared to Mary. He said, greetings. O favored one, the Lord is with you. And we read that story, we, 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 we see that, that she was afraid. <coughs> and he said to her, don't be afraid. You found favor, Mary, you found favor with God. And Luke chapter 1 verse 31 says this, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy. The Son of God, in verse 38, says that Mary responded to the angel and said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You know, as the angel made this declaration of what God was going to do in Mary's life and in her body and for his creation, the conception of the Son of God, Mary asked this question, How will this be? I'm a, I'm a virgin. And the, el- the angel told her two things that we should know. He said this, Mary, nothing's impossible with God. Nothing's impossible with God, Mary. The Lord is, is God and normal function for him, normal for him, is the supernatural, is the mysterious, is the miraculous, because nothing is impossible with the Lord, Mary. The second thing the angel told her was this, that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and the power of the Most High would overshadow her and therefore the child to be born would be called Holy, the Son of God. And and the text just tells us, the the gospel writer tells us that Mary believed God, that she said, I'm the servant of the Lord. I'm, I'm God's servant. Let it be done to me according to your word. And I, I think about Mary in comparison to Ahaz. I will not. I refuse. I won't believe, but Mary believed God. The total contrast to to Ahaz, she believed and she trusted in God because the stability of her life depended on believing the promise of God. Mary believed God and Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. The Holy Spirit conceived in her the Christ child. In John chapter 3, we read this story about a man named Nicodemus who came to Jesus. He was a Pharisee. And he came to Jesus by night. I think the spirit was hovering actually, just like a creation. And Nicodemus said to Jesus, Teacher, we know that you've come from God because no one can do these signs unless God was with him. All the miraculous signs, the miracles that Jesus had been uh, performing because Jesus is God. He, he, he functions in the realm of the supernatural, the mysterious, and the miraculous. 
And Jesus answered Nicodemus and he said to him, truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel, Jesus said, that I've said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound and you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Jesus told Nicodemus this, that if someone is to see the kingdom of God, he must be born again. They have to be born again. And we know what Jesus was speaking about. Jesus was speaking of not physical birth, but spiritual birth. He said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born of the spirit. And it makes me think that just as this Holy Spirit was active in creation... That just as the Holy Spirit brought forth life by the word of God at creation, just as the Holy Spirit overshadowed the womb of Mary and Emmanuel was conceived, so the Spirit must bring forth life in you and I. You must be born again, Jesus said. And to me, the key question that, that Nicodemus asked, it sounds so much like what Mary asked, he said, how can these things be? Jesus said, Nicodemus, you're a teacher. How do you not know these things? Are you a teacher in Israel and yet you do not understand these things? The Holy Spirit, who in the beginning when the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep, that Spirit, the Spirit of God, was hovering over the waters hovering over the face of the waters to affect the creation of the universe as God spoke. He was the active agent of change which resulted in, cre in the creation of the universe as God spoke his word and brought forth life. The same spirit, the Holy Spirit, hovered over the darkness of Mary's womb. And that which was conceived in her was was of the Holy Spirit, the supernatural, mysterious, and miraculous work of the Spirit of God. And just like that which was conceived in Mary, and just like that which happened at the creation of the universe, we need the same Holy Spirit. We need the same Holy Spirit to work in us that Christ would be formed in us, that Jesus would be formed in you and I. And Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus was conceived in the flesh. He was conceived in the flesh so that he might be conceived in your flesh. He was conceived in the flesh so that he 
so that he could be conceived in your flesh and bring you life. He called it eternal life and abundant life. And like Mary, you know, we should ask. Like Nicodemus, we should ask. Mary said, how can these things be? And the angel said to her, oh, nothing's impossible with God. This is a work of the Spirit. Nicodemus, when he heard of being born again, he asked Jesus, how can these things be? And she said, oh, Nicodemus, like the wind, the Spirit of God moves the way that he wants to move. You must be born of the Spirit, Nicodemus. You must be born again. See, salvation, salvation in Christ Jesus, it's a work of the Holy Spirit that is available to us because of all that Jesus Christ has done. That's why salvation is available. Because of what Jesus has done, because Emmanuel, God with us, came and gave his life. He condescended. He submitted to being born of a virgin. He, he was cursed for your sake. He died for your sin to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but he was raised to life by the Spirit. That's what the apostles tell us. And by his blood, through his blood, we're, we're cleansed from the guilt and the condemnation that sin has brought upon us. We're, we're cleansed from the guilt and shame of our sin. We're cleansed from the power of sin and the result, death. And because Jesus loves us, he makes eternal life and abundant life available to us. Man, this is the Christmas story. And you can ask, how can these things be? Well, I want to remind you. How can these things be? You need to know the Christmas story and the story of Jesus and all that he's done for us to save us. It's a heavenly work. The virgin conceiving was supernatural. It was mysterious and it was miraculous. And your salvation and my salvation, it's supernatural and it's mysterious and it's miraculous. It's a work of the Spirit. And to God be the glory. To King Jesus be the glory. But I'll tell you what, it's a work that has to be received. It's a work that has to be received. You could be like Ahaz, or you could be like Mary. You could say, I will not. You would say, Lord, I trust you. I'm your servant. I believe your word to me. See, the work of salvation is a work to be received and to be believed. And to believe it, it means this, that we turn. To believe means this, that we turn. There's two actions to believing in the Lord Jesus. There's the action of repentance, which is turning from sin, and there's the action of faith, which is turning to Jesus. Turning from sin, repentance, and turning to Jesus, faith, to say, Jesus, I believe. I believe in Jesus. The stability of my life is founded upon your promises. I put my hope in you, Jesus. And church, this is why we love Christmas. This is why, you know, lights and trees and this and that. Too much food and chocolate and cookies and presents. We love Christmas because we love Jesus. We love Christmas because Christmas is the time that we celebrate the birth of our Lord. And we should celebrate, church. We should sing praise to God. We should worship. 
We should have our Bibles flipped open in our living room and praising God, you know, Christmas morning. Church, aren't you thankful for Christmas? Aren't you thankful for King Jesus? Salvation, supernatural, mysterious, miraculous. Explain it, you can't. It's a work of God's spirit. The question is, will we respond? Mary or Ahaz? I want to be Mary. Don't you? I want to be Mary.